Thank you, Bronwyn. That was beautifully read. Very easy to hear every single word uh, of that passage at home, so thank you for that. And if I was a betting man, I would bet that one word in particular jumped out to you this morning. And I would put all my money that that word was mystery. Just ask any marketing company if you want to grab anyone's attention, you just need to offer them a mystery or a secret. Our 24-hour news feeds know this. They spend their entire days recycling old stories, giving them new headlines that promise some new angle. And I wonder how many of you have, have books like these sitting on your shelves at home. Five Secrets to Financial Freedom. Eight Secrets to Naturally Thick and Healthy Hair. Or Seven Secrets to Chiselled Abs. Yeah, I was going to say, I've only got one of these books at home. Try and guess which one of those it is, see? <laughs> or what about this abomination? The secret. It's so good it doesn't even tell you what it's offering. And because of that, it became a global phenomenon. Of course, after paying good money to have these secrets revealed, you're always just a bit disappointed because they're never offering any profound new knowledge. The same could be said for our mystery today. Paul is writing to the Colossians, who are established Christians. And if you are an established Christian, then hopefully you aren't going to hear anything new today. But I promise you will hear what you need to hear. And so I'm going to pray to that end now, and then we'll jump into our passage. Father in heaven, we, uh, we stand before you humbly, uh, ready to be taught by your word. Open our ears and our hearts to receive it. Um, so that we might be grown by the wisdom in your word uh, and persevere in the faith in which you've established us. Amen. Okay, let's begin with the mystery, folks. Let's get that out of the way. Have a look at verse 26, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul uses this word mystery or secret, and we just go mental. We put on the pumpkin head and look for some hidden meaning in these verses, but this mystery is really no mystery at all. It is Christ, our hope of glory. Paul is talking about the gospel. Like I said, nothing new today. I wonder if that's a little bit disappointing for you. The, Paul, uh, the reason Paul is referring to the gospel as a mystery is because until the coming of Jesus Christ, it was a mystery. Uh, how was God going to deal with sin? How can mankind escape judgment and death? How can they escape the darkness? Chapter 1, which Paul Council revealed to us last week, gave the answers to these questions. And if we were reading this as a letter, it would still be fresh in our minds. So let's quickly remind ourselves that the answer is indeed Christ. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, that's great. Turn to chapter 1, verse 13, but they'll also appear on the screen. We'll start at verse 13. It says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's power of creation and the new creation is found in Christ. God's answer to death is found in Christ. And God's ultimate history-encompassing plan to redeem a people for himself despite their sin is in Christ. And uh, Paul continues here in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The revealing of God's mystery, the gospel, has the purpose of reconciling us to God and to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, assuming that once established in the gospel, we do not shift from the gospel, that we remain stable and steadfast. That is Paul's message in our passage today. The Colossians mustn't take the gospel for granted. They mustn't look for the next mystery or the next secret. The Colossians have been established in Christ and they must continue in Christ. Paul starts with how they were established in Christ. Let's go to the start of our passage today, verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, The mystery which we have seen is Christ. Paul says that he became a minister or servant according to the stewardship from God to make the word of God fully known. Now, if you know Paul's letters, you could take stewardship in in two ways. One would be uh, the administration of Paul's God-given responsibilities as an apostle, how he goes about doing his job. The other way he talks about stewardship is God's administration of his plan of salvation. That is how God's plan is worked out in creation. What's interesting here is that Paul seems to be using the word to carry both meanings. Paul is saying that his work, his responsibility, is actually to carry out or implement God's plan of reconciliation that was revealed in Christ. Paul's part in this plan is to make the word of God fully known. Now, our English translation lacks a little emphasis here. Uh, Making the word of God known isn't simply teaching the scriptures, although it is that. Uh, The emphasis is more about bringing the word of God to its fulfillment. And the word of God here refers to the promises of God. The plan of God for his people promised through the Old Testament prophets, a plan that was a mystery as to how it would be fulfilled, a plan that was hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed to his holy people in Jesus Christ. Paul isn't just reading the news. Paul is making the news. 
His job as a minister is actually to progress God's plan of reconciliation that has been made known in Christ. It's this work that Paul describes in a very profound but, let's face it, confusing way in verse 1. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. Now, if you want to look for hidden mysteries, this verse is like a phone book to a numerologist. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? I hope it's clear from chapter 1 that Paul is not saying that Christ's work was somehow inadequate. That Paul is fulfilling God's promises in a way that Christ could not. He just said that the preeminent Jesus Christ has reconciled us, past tense, in his body of flesh by his death, And he will say in verse 29 that his work is entirely equipped and empowered by Christ. And in about a million other places, Paul completely attributes our salvation to the work of Jesus Christ. So the work of Christ is not inadequate. But there is a sense in which we could say it is incomplete. All of creation is not yet reconciled to God. Christ's afflictions are not lacking in the sense of not being enough but in the sense that they have yet to have their full effect in creation. There are still people of God yet to be established in the gospel. And there are still people of God uh, who are yet to be delivered blameless before God. This work is carried out by the instruments of God's plan, ministers like Paul, as they proclaim Christ. And that's why he says in verse 28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Uh, To support what we were just saying, note that uh, the purpose of Paul's ministry here is the same as God's purpose in Christ, to present everyone mature or complete before God. And it is fitting that his ministry is equipped and empowered by Christ himself. Note too that what he is proclaiming is not a philosophy or some secret knowledge, but a person. The secret to God's eternal plan to reconcile all things is the person of Jesus Christ, who now dwells in us and we in him through the preaching of the gospel. Do you remember when this mystery was revealed to you? The revelation of a loving God who sacrificed himself to pull you out of the darkness and establish you in his kingdom? When did you get that first inkling of the the glory and riches of the gospel? When you were pulled out of the muck and mire of your sin, only to be adopted as a son or daughter of God? I think probably the only benefit of coming to Christ later in life is that I still remember the thrill of that revelation. The revelation of God's grace in Jesus Christ, it impacted every aspect of my life. My entire worldview was turned on its head. I walked for months with joy exploding in my heart. I looked forward to living a holy life, doing God's work in meaningful and great and fulfilling ways. But after a while, as you would know, I'm sure, the honeymoon faded. And 
to be honest, I was left confused because I was not entirely free from sin. I was distressed as the feeling of God's presence waned. I looked for ways to restore it. I wondered if there was something else I should be pursuing. What was I missing? Being established in the gospel was glorious, but to be honest, I didn't get what I was expecting. Mind you, I didn't honestly know what to expect. One year we had a a church camp where Peter Jensen talked on the word of God and all this kind of came to a head for me. And, uh, And I sat down and I asked him, is there something else I need to pursue? Is there something else I need to know? I was looking for the secret that would restore what I once had. This is exactly the danger that Paul wants to address with the Colossians. He's concerned that once established in the gospel, the Colossians might shift away from the gospel. He wanted to make sure that they would continue in Christ. So turn over to chapter 2 with me. And Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. There's no immediate failing on the Colossians' part. Paul has heard only of their good order and firmness of faith, and he thanks God for it. But this advice is something that all Christians need to hear. He knows that while the gospel brings incredible benefits, it's not necessarily going to free the Colossians from pain or loneliness, poverty, doubt, and of course the temptations of sin. In fact, the gospel will almost certainly make their lives harder in many ways. So there's a real danger of people shifting away from the gospel and looking for answers to their problems in other places. This is his concern in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This could also be translated as being deceived by persuasive or fine-sounding arguments. Paul knew that there will be no shortage of persuasive arguments promising to solve all the Colossians' problems, just as it is today. And he wants the Colossians to continue in Christ, even when things get tough. He begins by emphasising just how much he wants the Colossians to hear this message. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for all the churches he has not planted himself. The language here... uh, is what a Greek would use to describe an agonising or bone-breaking labour. This is Greek for hard yakka. Yes, Paul experienced persecution. It's likely he writes this letter from jail. But that's not what he's talking about. He's bone-weary. He works at this task until he is utterly spent. Paul is not looking for sympathy. He just wants them to take this message seriously. Don't dismiss this lightly. Remember, he is not evangelising the Colossians. He is not trying to uh, establish a new church. Epaphras has already done that. But he's working to ensure that the existing church perseveres in Christ. And he does this, as we've already seen, not by giving them any secret knowledge, but simply reminding them and teaching them again the glory of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Paul is proclaiming Christ until he is utterly spent because it encourages them. The gospel gives perspective to whatever difficulties they are facing. They need to be reminded that they enjoy the love of a sovereign God. Paul prays day and night to see the Colossians united, bearing with one another and loving one another in practical ways, following Christ's self-sacrificing example. And Paul works with all Christ's energy to assure them, to give them certainty of their salvation, that their hope for the future is secure in Jesus Christ. And finally, he works until his bones ache to improve their understanding of Christ because in Christ, he says, are hidden all the secrets, uh, sorry, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Last term, our Bible study group studied the book of Proverbs and we learnt that wisdom, that is knowing how to live well, begins with a right relationship with God. God created this world. His will and his ways are woven throughout all of his creation. To live well in this world means you must live in accord with God's will. If you want to know how best to live day by day, how best to work, how best to relate to others, how best to succeed, sit under God's will, especially as it is revealed in Christ. He doesn't mean that once you receive Jesus, you automatically have all the answers to all life's problems, but he is saying that the claim of the gospel in Christ is immense. It has width and length and depth and heights you'll never grasp. There's no aspect to our lives it cannot speak into. The gospel has been described as a pool in which a sparrow may wade and an elephant may swim. A simple child can splash in its waters, finding there everything they need for salvation. And the wisest man in history, despairing to find the bottom, will sit at the, humbly at the brink and adore the depth. The secret to persevering in the Christian life, to thriving in the Christian life, is to continually come back to the gospel and be thankful for what we have received in Christ and then to find wisdom in it for whatever challenge we face day by day. Maybe you have a, a chronic illness. You wake up in pain every day. That sucks. The word of God has a lot of wisdom to help you manage an illness. And the gospel gives us perspective over your illness that will sustain you. And of course, you should pray for healing. But if you're not ending that prayer in gratitude for what God has done for you in Christ... And praying, but Lord, your will be done. Then the door is left wide open for those persuasive promises of miraculous healing or secret remedies. Maybe you're sick of never having enough money. You're never going to buy a house or go on holiday every year like your neighbours seem to do. The word of God has a lot of wisdom about managing your finances. And the gospel, if we let it, will reorient our hearts so that we seek to be generous with our money rather than resentful for what we don't have and now of course you know god does delight to bless us materially but if you're ungrateful for what god has provided and you remain jealous of your neighbors then of course you're going to be led astray by promises of easy wealth why do you think the prosperity gospel churches are so full god's secret christ in us it will not satisfy your worldly desires but I can promise you, neither will the so-called secrets of this world. 
Take it from someone who has tried way too often. Growing in your knowledge of Christ is the best way to live now. And you must understand it's not new information that achieves this. There is no new mystery we must discover. As the Apostle Peter says, God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These verses 6 and 7, they form a bit of a hinge point in this letter to the Colossians. They really sum up Paul's entire message in one sentence. As you received Christ Jesus, uh, is, this is actually a technical term for receiving a teaching. This is what Paul has been talking about, how they were established. They were taught the mystery of God, the gospel, by a servant of God. And in receiving that teaching, they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. As you received Christ Jesus through the teaching of the gospel, so walk in him through the continued teaching of the gospel. Grow in the gospel, live in the gospel, walk the rest of your days working out how the gospel informs your life and in the hope that it brings for your life hereafter. Uh, Paul uses a mixed metaphor to illustrate this. He says, be rooted and built up in Christ. These are metaphors he uses often, so he mixes them very easily here. One is the picture of being planted and growing, and the other is a picture of being uh, built upon a foundation. The beginning of the Christian life is a fundamentally new beginning, one which brings us out of the world of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And to apply the building metaphor, this is the foundation. We are about to finally build a storage shed next to the car park. Incidentally, if you want to be involved, make sure you contact me. The foundation, the slab, has been laid for some time. The slab was poured according to the plans for that shed. Now, if we were going to try and build some other building on top of it, it would end in disaster. That foundation wasn't meant for another kind of building. We've laid the foundation according to a set of plans. Now we need to build using the same plans. We need to continue by building a shed. And if we do that, then the shed will stand strong because it stands upon the proper foundation. To apply the planting metaphor, being rooted in Christ is to be planted in good soil. Where you plant a seed determines how well that plant will thrive. The type of soil, how well nourished it is, how well drained. Once the plant is rooted, it must take its nourishment from the soil in which it was planted to somehow reject that soil and try and take your nourishment from somewhere else. The plant will just wither and die. My daughter's Bible has a lovely translation for this verse. It says, Let your roots grow down into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. Christian growth will not occur in some richer soil or on some stronger foundation than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent in creation and all true riches, glory and treasures are to be found in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray to that end for all of us. Father, through the proclamation 
of your mystery, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Uh, You have established us in your kingdom. We pray that we would walk and grow in the gospel. This world holds out many persuasive promises and temptations to us, all good things that would draw us away and help us make us find our hope in anything other than Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that uh, you will show these for what they are, the false gold for what it is, uh, and that you would continue to build us up in Christ so that we will persevere, live this life well, and eventually leave this life in Christ and uh, enjoy eternity with you, which is our hope in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Friends, we're going to take a bit of time now just to reflect on the passage. Um, Some questions will come up on the screen. Uh, You'll have about 90 seconds just to reflect on the passage, maybe continue to pray. If you have any questions about anything I've spoken about or anything in the passage, uh, make sure you throw those on slido.com using the hashtag HPSP and I'll come back to answer those soon. We're going to sing 